Hey, Rafer. Hey, Kristen. How are you feeling today? Today, I feel pretty good. Really? You're not feeling furious? <laughs> I'm not feeling furious. <laughs> you are you? don't have fury in you today? Are you feeling There's anger? so much to feel furious about oh, this week. Give me a few minutes. There's lots of things to be furious about right now, though. I mean, just in the greater world, all the things that have been happening over the last few months. I'm talking about Ferguson. Ah, uh, yeah, sure. There's a lot to be furious about there. Sure. There's a lot to be furious about when it comes to geopolitics right now. Mm-hmm. You know what makes me so mad? Tell me. ISIS. ISIS makes me I'm mad. I'm so mad at them. I'm so mad at ISIS right now. Well, I don't mean to. I don't mean to make light of ISIS. Anywho, I'm talking about a lot of furious things right now because we have a lot of movies that are filled with fury this week. Some anger issues. There, there are some anger issues. Fortunately, you and I are not violent people, Rafer. So we're not going to hurt each other during this week's podcast. Okay. But um, um, among the types of fury we have, we have some race issues, right. race rage, which very topical right now in the movies called Dear White People. We also have some intergenerational rage, abusive parents and being uh, separated from those we love in The Best of Me, the new Nicholas Sparks movie. There is some rage in the movie Birdman with Michael Keaton. He's a very angry guy playing an actor who's trying to mount a comeback and he's being thwarted every turn. So I guess there's some there's some career anger there. <laughs> And then there's the most furious of all the Fury movies this week called Fury. It's called Fury. <laughs> well, it's about war. What more do you want? War makes me furious. Sure, makes sure. Makes me so mad. Yeah, there's a lot to be mad about this week. So much anger. But before we get to all these angry, angry movies, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And this is Movie Day. start off talking a little bit about some race rage and the new movie Dear White People is out this week and it's getting a lot of buzz. Yeah, it's getting a lot of ink. Tell, give us the rundown on this one, Kristen. All right. This takes place at the fictional Ivy League Winchester University, a predominantly white school where people like to think that they're enlightened enough that we're in a post-racial world. We can make jokes. We can borrow from each other's cultures. And, you know, that's mostly what the white students think. But things are obviously a lot more complicated than that. We're not really post-racial, right. you know. And, and when it comes to how black students uh, are living and experiencing that whole world, it's not how the white students think they are. And that can be a number of different experiences. And uh, it focuses on four students in particular. We have Sam White, and she's a mixed-race white black student who has a radio show called Dear White People, where she really just rages. She just yep. full of anger talking about, all of the bad things that the white students do to the black students on campus unknowingly. And a lot of it's not even malice. It's just stuff that white kids do not even realizing that is really hurtful to the black students. We also have a kid who is aspiring to be pretty much like the next president of the United States of America who's black. We have another student who she is not altogether happy with being black, I would say. I would say that she wants to be very accepted by the white kids. She prefers to date white men. And, I think that's right. Um, and then we also have a kid who you wouldn't necessarily know what category to put him into. And he loves Robert Altman and Mumford and Sons. He has a giant afro. He's gay. And he doesn't really fit into any of the cliques on campus. So we look at these students and we look at some of their relationships with the white students on campus as well. Here's a clip. Okay, sometimes I think the hardest thing to be in the American workforce right now 
is an educated white guy. <laughs> You're not serious. Hey, look, you guys still got affirmative action. That's all I'm saying. I'm sorry. What exactly are you doing here? Rafer, what did you think of Dear White People? I was really glad to see it. I was glad to see that a movie like this is out there. And it's nice to see this new, fresh voice suddenly kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, Justin Simeon is the guy who wrote and directed this, uh, based not quite on his own experiences, but I guess he kind of got the idea um, at at a BSU meeting, a black student union meeting at his college, um, which was not, I think, one of these. It was not Harvard. Winchester, no, it was Winchester, in California he went to school. Right. Um, Win, Winchester looks very clearly to be an East Coast, you know, it looks uh, clearly Harvard. I, I just have to say, shout out to my alma mater, University of Minnesota. That's, that's where the movie was shot. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Oh, well, it's, it's very, my old campus, yeah. Rather nice looking school. It's a beautiful of, school. Many of those Shots make it look very, very dead poets. Oh, you know? it's a gorgeous campus. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, so, so it is sort of based on his own his own um, uh, experiences or his own feelings, I guess. And it's nice to see a guy who has a sense of visual style and who is smart and funny and is willing to give his characters. Um, some complexity and some nuance. Oh, yeah. a, and lot a, a lot of flaws. A lot of contradictions. Yes. Yeah, a lot of flaws, a lot of contradictions, which I think is cool. Um, the movie felt extremely rough around the edges to me. Mm. Extremely rough. There are a lot of scenes that begin and end, and I would think to myself, I'm really not sure what just transpired between those two characters. I'm not sure what the point of that scene was, what it was supposed to tell me, even though there was a good, a funny line or two. Um and I do think he gets a little bit stylish just for stylishness's sake and not really to make an actual point. But overall, I was actually really happy to see the movie. I think it's really funny and, and fresh. And it has that in both good and bad ways. It feels young. It feels like it feels like it has the energy of a first movie. And I like that. Oh, yeah. I absolutely agree. It feels very young and it feels very informed by the world we live in now where people are watching videos on YouTube all the time and right. funny or die. And it really had – some sense of that in the movie. You can tell that this was informed by this world we live in now. And I must also point out that the movie, it starts and it ends with a blackface party on campus, which is so inflammatory and so upsetting. It's a right. party that the white students are holding. And this is something that's happening on campuses all across America all the time. And during the closing credits of the film, you see some of the newspaper headlines and photographs of these parties that have happened on not just Ivy League campuses, but on all sorts of predominantly white campuses across America. And it just brings you back into the reality of things like this is this is for real. Right. But sure. I, I don't want this just to be a history lesson for everyone either. Right. It's right. All, it's, it's also entertaining. It is totally entertaining. So uh, are, you, are you calling Dear White People a good date, Rafer? I would call it a good date. I think it's a good, interesting, funny, and and fresh date. I think it's nice to see something like, like this that just has that feel of just of newness, something different. And I, I like that. I agree with you. I also think Dear White People is a good date. Let's move on to a movie that, unfortunately, Rafer, you missed. I really wished you could make it to the screening of The Best of Me. It's a bummer, isn't it? (laughs) 
Here's why I wish you were there, Reefer, because when you and I see a Nicholas Sparks movie, you always just have the best take on Nicholas Sparks movies. Nicholas Sparks, boy. Oh, oh you love his romance. I really I actually I just want to be clear, I actually did want to see this movie. I swear to you, I did want to see it. But I had the Hamptons Film Festival. I had eight million other things going on, and we just we wound up at Newsday. We wound up uh, running a wire review. I, I just I couldn't get the time to see it. I wanted to. I swear to you. All right. Well, I bet you're not even going to be able to predict the elements that went into the story mm, of the there, best of me. Is there a guy with a with a, a wounded past with a kind of a secret hidden past? Oh my gosh, that's right. Does he does he go to a small town and meet a a girl who falls for him? Oh my gosh, you're right. Is there a twist? <laughs> is there a, yes, is there a twist you ending? Are... Right. And like an angel or something. There's a flashback. Oh, the flashback. I forgot about that. So most of, well, not even most, like half the movie is in flashback. Half of it's in present. You see these teenagers falling in love, this young couple. Okay. And you know, this young couple, he comes from the wrong side of the tracks. Oh, yeah. He's got such a rough background. There's a lot of rage. His family's incredibly violent. His dad's physically abusive. We're talking cigarette burns on his body. Oh. Uh, punching his son in the face, holding guns to his kid's head. So this boy has been brought up in a rageaholic, abusive household, which they self-identify as white trash. Hmm. Um, Because, of course, also worth pointing out, Nicholas Sparks only has white characters. Oh, that's true, too. Yeah, only white people in the South. And (laughs) isn't that weird? It's so romantic. It is weird, isn't it? It's so Southern and it's so genteel and so white and so romantic. Um, I'm sorry. We don't mean to offend our Southern listeners. We love you, and we love you if you're white also. We don't mean to... (laughs) (laughs) Even if. Even even if. But he doesn't have a lot of diversity in his story. No, he does not. Um, Diversity as far as plot or character. (laughs) (laughs) And isn't this James Marsden playing the guy, and who plays the girl? Michelle Moynihan. Right. Yes. So, yeah, we have Michelle Moynihan and James Marsden who are in present day. In present day, Michelle Moynihan, James Marsden... They are our couple. But we also see for half the movie, back in the 90s when they were young and courting, we have Luke Bracey playing the younger James oh. Marsden. And Liana Liberato, I don't know who she is. She's a newcomer, I think, oh. playing uh, the young Michelle Moynihan character. <laughs> back in the 90s. Back in the 90s. Is the film all black and white and scratchy? <laughs> Because that was so long ago. But God, they do depressing. have cassette tapes. I need to point out, they do have cassette tapes back in the 90s. And there's no cell phones in the 90s. Is it just silence? Everyone moving really fast? <laughs> like fast, jittery motion? <laughs> well, let's play a clip. I like my job. But you might like the new one more. I don't know why you just don't go to college and get the piece, piece of paper. Well, I don't. Yeah, that's her. That's the girl who just wouldn't let me settle. All <laughs> right. So I... I I don't even know what to say about this movie, Rafer, that you haven't already said. Yes, damaged past. Yes, yeah. the boy, the girl, they love each other. There's a twist. I'm not well, going to tell you what the twist is. I, I'm going to say this. They are terribly cast in flashback. Mm. The, the Liana Liberato, who is playing the younger Michelle Moynihan, does not look anything like her That's at all. That's always a problem. Luke Bracey does not look anything like James Marsden. Not even a little bit. How is James, and is James Marsden any good? Because I like James Marsden. Oh, he, he's he's jaunty. He's likable. Yeah. He's he's carefree and he's going to, you know what he's going to do after he makes sweet love to you after not seeing you for 20 years? Mm. He's going to go out to the garden and pick you a flower. Oh, that's and what then, I always do. And then all the girls are going to go, 
Oh, oh. I love that you always do that, Rafer. Your every wife's time, a lucky lady. Every time my wife and I make love, I go out and I bring her a kitty. I bring her one back. Here's another kitty. How many kittens do you have in your house? <laughs> thousands of kittens just running rampant all through oh, your apartment. Thousands, <laughs> thousands of kitties. Anyway, so you're saying you're saying if you're that person who loves Nicholas Sparks movie, you're you're gonna love this movie. This is gonna be a great date for you. But if you're me. And if you're you, Rafer, frankly, <laughs> the best of me is going to be a not very good date. A laughable date. You can laugh at it. Oh, okay. Let's move on, though, to Birdman. I, I didn't get a chance to see this, Rafer. You're going to have to see this one, Kristen. Uh, you're going to have to see this one. Now, this is a movie that's been getting a lot of buzz. It's impossible so to, yeah. to avoid talk of Birdman. Um, I even feel a little ridiculous telling you what the plot is because you must know, after having read EW and watched every television show on the planet with every member of the cast in this movie, uh, Michael Keaton is the star, and he plays a guy named Riggan Thompson. He's an actor. Back in 1992... He played a, there was the last time he played a superhero, iconic superhero named Birdman, much like Michael Batman. Keaton did with <laughs> Batman back in 1992. Uh, however, uh, that being said, uh, Michael Keaton himself has gone on record saying, no, I am not Birdman. No, I am not Riggan Thompson. This is not actually my character. And that's true. There is a little bit of playing with reality there. Uh, but it's part and parcel of this entire film that plays with reality. You've got a whole cast of actors pretty much all playing actors. They're all trying to mount a Broadway play uh, based on a Raymond Carver short story. Uh, he's having a difficult time. Uh, one of his actors is uh, hit in the head with a Klieg light, and he's got to find a new one. Um, here's a clip. We don't have an actor. And if we cancel the first preview, the press is going to smell blood, and we can't afford to lose any more money at all. Okay. What do you think I should do? Well, we hired an understudy. Let's use the understudy. No. Reagan, listen to me. Please, for the love of God, listen. Our perfect dream actor is not going to knock on that door and go, Hey, fellas, when do I start? You know? This is so meta. It's like reality. It's like it's fiction. Ex- it's it's so confusing. Extremely a real Raymond Carver. Yes, Car- yes. A re- it opens up with a Raymond Carver quote. The play is actually based on a real Carver uh, story, of course. And then you've got these little other you know, hints. Not just the Michael Keaton, uh, self-reflexive Michael Keaton role, but also, you know, Edward Norton playing a notoriously difficult actor. Oh, uh, that doesn't sound like <laughs> anybody named Edward Norton. Right, exactly. Um, and there's a lot of this very funny stuff. And other people cast in kind of odd roles that you wouldn't expect, like Zach Galifianakis, who plays Michael Keaton's manager. And it's a very straight, very sympathetic Really toned down and very nice role. It's like a really good performance from him. Oh, it's about time we see that. Yes. He always kind of I, plays that one I, guy. Right, right. Um, yeah, we haven't seen anything from him like that since, uh, let me tell you a funny story. Is that the one? The Ned Vicini? I can't remember the last where, time. Where he I played saw the it. mental patient. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, so. You've got this amazing cast, Naomi Watts, Andrea Riseborough, um, Zach Galifianakis, uh, Ed Norton, Emma Stone, who plays um, Michael Keaton's daughter. Great cast. It's all shot and edited to look like one continuous take. So it looks like it's just one single shot that never stops. And it goes over the course of several days and more than a few hallucinations, I would say. And it is just amazing. The movie is just amazing. Incredible, and I was not expecting this because the director is Alejandro Inuritu. I hope you don't I like him, pronounced his name correctly. I really don't like his stuff. Twenty One Grams, Babel. I find that stuff really 
Pretentious and tiresome. Yeah, it's overwrought (laughs) and, you know, I I just, I never liked it. This movie has so much energy. It's so funny and smart. It will go from just like a wildly funny exchange of, of just zany dialogue to some really moving, tender illuminating moment between two people and then all of a sudden you know you're somewhere completely different the score is fantastic it's essentially just drums just a drum score wow. by a by a jazz drummer um and it just moves with this amazing energy and it's just a completely wild ride and i think even though this is one of these kind of hollywood meta movies I think that this is going to be the Oscar movie to beat at this point. I haven't Whoa. seen everything that's coming out, but I would say really? Keaton for actor, um, director, script, best picture, best editing, possibly cinematography. I just think it's going to be at – this, at this date, the year is still young. It's the one to beat. So I would wow. say Birdman is just a fantastic date. I'm so excited to see it now. You, you, you're wow. going to have to because Oscar season is coming up and we're going to have to see them all. And, oh, I, and I'll, I'll be very curious to see what you think. Oh, I'm so excited. All right. Well, stay with us because coming up, we're going to review Brad Pitt's new movie, Fury. We also have some movie therapy for a listener who is struggling with home renovations. We've all been there, right, Rafer? Sort of. <laughs> I don't have enough money to renovate my home. And we also have a new feature called Sweatpants. Stay with us. This is Movie Date. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And let's talk about the big war movie of the week, the most furious of our furious movies, called Fury. Yep. Well, this is Brad Pitt's new movie. Uh, I think some Oscar some Oscar hopes are being pinned on this film. This is a World War II movie. He plays War Daddy. He's a tank commander in World War II. It's the last final dying days of World War II, April 1945. The Germans are just weeks away from surrendering. But, of course, nobody knows that, and the, uh, the powers that be are going to send War Daddy and his tank crew behind enemy lines. They're going to try to stop a, na- a Nazi advance. Um, and as War Daddy says, this war is about to end, but a lot more people got to die first. Here's a clip. We ain't never run before. I ain't running now. What's that? We're going to fight it out. We can't. I'm going to hold this crossroad. What do you mean you're going to hold this? The tank's busted. The tank's busted, top. Yeah, you said that. Top, what are you doing? What do you want to do? You want to sit here? I'm going to hold this crossroad. You cross want to sit road. here hold off the SS battalion? No, it's not what I want to do, but it's what we're doing. There's five of us. Get your fighting position. Mount up. Now, Rafer, this movie is supposedly, it's building itself as not your daddy's war movie. That's this, right. This is supposed to be different. It's supposed to be more raw. It's supposed to be telling the truth. And I'm just curious how you feel about that, how, how it's advertising itself versus what you saw and what I saw. Well... Yeah, I think what this movie wants to avoid is becoming one of these rah-rah, gung-ho, romantic uh, World War II movies, which which are the kinds of movies that we saw during while World War II was actually happening. You had the Office of whatever, the Ministry of Information, the Office of War Information, whatever mm-hmm. our propaganda arm was, that basically helped 
quote unquote, make a lot of these movies and oversaw really uh, the making of these movies. So, you know, the, you, always, you always had John Wayne in the lead role. You always had some guy with a strong jaw. You know, you never had a shot of bodies being bulldozed into a giant pit. You know, you no, didn't... we're all heroes. We're all exactly. coming to the rescue. And we all look great. And exactly. we all have a honey waiting for us at home. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I mean, there are some, you know, there were World War II was probably the last time when we all could have kind of gotten behind that and didn't perhaps didn't mind that the Office of War Information was feeding us a bunch of this uh, a bunch of this stuff. Um, now I think this movie wants to, you know, I don't know what kind of rip the Saran wrap off of that or like you know <laughs> rub the tar- rub the shine off of the old World War II movie and make it more Vietnamish, make it more uh, bloody, muddy, gory, uh, more amoral, um, uh, less less clear, less black and white. Not everyone's a hero, right. even if they are on our side. Right. That the, kind of movie. Right. The Americans do bad things too. And so I think that's the real intent. Um, and so the movie is pretty violent, wouldn't you say? It's so violent. It actually just felt ridiculous, so violent that during the first half hour or so, I was like, I don't know if I can sit through the rest of this movie. Right. Oh, really? It feels gratuitously, pornographically violent to me. I mean, full I, disclosure, we're seeing like all sorts of body parts here in the oh, first yeah, half yeah, yeah. hour. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. the first half hour, parts of faces. Yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's really gruesome, and right. um, and and also just as violent. The motivations and personalities of the guys in this crew. Right. Some of them have such dangerous instincts that you don't want to run into any of these guys in an alley. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the 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 crew members. Uh, it's uh, Michael Pena who plays Trini. Love um, him. Always uh, love him. Yeah, he's great. Uh, John Bernthal who plays uh, a guy named Coonass. Coonass Grady. He's kind of the redneck he's, guy. Oh, he's he's a loose cannon. He's definitely Sh- a loose cannon. Shia LaBeouf who's just crying through the whole thing. Shia LaBeouf always crying. In plays this kind movie. of a preacher. His nickname is Bible. He yes. Goes, he always quotes yeah. the Bible. Yeah. Um, and well, and we should say that the that of course. And I think this is going to bring us to our next topic. The innocent in all this is a guy named uh, Norman, played by Logan Lerman from the Percy Jackson films. He's and, a newcomer in the crew, and right. he's kind of our entryway into the crew and what this rough, raw life is like. Now, haven't we seen that before? I've never seen that ever. Rafer. I don't <laughs> even never know what the, you're talking about. You've never <laughs> seen the young, innocent, wide-eyed guy who's had to confront the grizzled old amoralist? I'm wow, almost positive Oliver Stone movie. did that. That's I'm, never been in every movie that's I, in the war. I'm going to go Google that Oliver Stone movie and see if I can remember the name of that. Um, yeah. Well, so there is that. Um, did you – but even – you know, these are, again, sort of the tropes of the war movie. They're hard to avoid. Even given that, did you feel that this movie – made its point. Do you feel like it did no, what it set out to do? Absolutely you don't. Absolutely not. No, it, was, it still had heroes and villains. Yep. It still dehumanized who the villain was. We didn't even... Still just a faceless... Just monsters. Still just faceless Germans. Yeah, yeah exactly. True. The girls are still pretty and want to kiss you, even though you're coming into their town and blowing everything up. And and speaking of the women, <laughs> that was really sort of almost where I lost my, my patience, oh my was God. when the when the girl shows up. There's a girl who shows up. In, she's a Her German name is girl. Emma. Emma, played by Alicia von Rittberg. Wearing a little dress that's shorter than her knees. A little summer dress. A little summer dress that nobody would wear in in occupied Germany. (laughs) Oh no, the American invaders are coming. Let me put on my makeup and and condition, volumize my hair, and put on a little (laughs) tiny, tiny summer dress. Oh no, American invaders. Oh no, help. Oh my God. No, no, no. Ridiculous. I I had had real problems with 
what few women were in this movie, I had a major issue with how they were depicted. Yeah, well, and of, and of course, you know, where, let's again not spoiling anything, but where the Emma storyline ends, oh, I thought God. was was really offensive. I thought that was I thought that was just pathetic, and I felt like. By the end, I thought, okay, you've got some good action scenes. Um, I think some of the acting is pretty good. Um, A nice, big, bloody Sam Peckinpah climax that I was happy to see. Uh, But in the end, this is just complete Hollywood BS. Oh, absolutely. It's just macho, romantic. Still rah, rah, war. Look at us do it. I don't know if it's rah, rah, war, but I I just felt like, you know, every time Brad Pitt had to say something like, uh, what does he say? Ideals are peaceful. History is violent. <laughs> then he just shoves an unfiltered lucky strike into his lips and lights it up and strikes a pose. And I just kind of thought, come on, man. This is this is no different than Flying Tigers from 1941 or whatever that movie was. This mm. is no different from your old World War II movie. And I just thought, you know, I had high hopes for Fury. I had high hopes for Fury because I'd heard a lot about mm. it and seen a lot of ink. And I just thought it was the same old the same old crap, frankly. I, I thought Fury was a bad date. I, I th- thought Fury was just gratuitously violent, and it reminded me of why I hate most war movies. <laughs> I have to agree. War is hell, Kristen. <laughs> war is hell. What seems to be the trouble? Can I confess something? I'm just trying to tell you about my feelings. He's been depressed. Help! Rafer, shall we do a little bit of prescription writing? Let's do that. Let's you know, get out our notepads. Because it's movie therapy time. All right. We have a call this week from one of our longtime listeners, Dan from Ann Arbor. Dan has this to say. Hey, Ray from Kristen. This is Dan from Ann Arbor, and I have a movie therapy question. Uh, my wife and I are currently starting to build um, our dream home, and between dealing with the homeowners association, our builder, different contractors, our two kids. Uh, it can be quite a stressful experience, and I wanted to know if you guys had any movies that could help us through this uh, time. Looking forward to hearing from you guys, and love the show. Bye-bye. Oh, Dan. Oh, poor Dan. I've been there. I have been there. The home renovation, ugh, gutting a kitchen and a bathroom and putting, oh, it's just terrible. I actually have been there, too. I yeah. have been there, too. Yeah, and it can make you think, is this relationship going to work out? <laughs> is this is this house worth it? Why am I doing this? Should I leave my children? <laughs> yeah. Why don't I just go and live on the beach in Thailand? Right. Yes. It's, right. It is harrowing. It is awful. But you know what? Okay. I, I'm just going to say that I think the best medicine here for Dan is going to be you're going to watch people who have it worse off than you, and you're going to feel a lot better. People whose home renovation issues are so far beyond what you're dealing with. So, Rafer... On that note, what are you going to prescribe? I'm going to prescribe an old gem that probably most people haven't heard of. It's called The Plumber. It's a 1979 movie from Peter Weir, the great Peter Weir, one of his first films. Witness. Uh, Exactly. Witness, uh, You're Living Dangerously. I mean, uh, I I just, God, I love Peter Weir. This is an early one, um, and it's uh, about a woman. She's an anthropologist in Australia, and her bathroom is taken over by a psychotic I kid you not, that is the plot of the film. Here's a clip. Is the caretaker about? No, he isn't. Who's asking? Carpal 15C. I have to talk to him. Where is he? He's not here. I want to find out about the plumber. He he says there's something wrong with her pipes. Frankly, I don't believe him. He, he has a criminal record. He's up there singing in our bathroom. What are you talking about? Well, I'm not sure he's a real plumber. Guy just shows up one day and says, uh, I'm here. I'm part of the building. I'm going to have to uh, fix your bathroom. And it literally is a psychological thriller about a guy who destroys your bathroom. 
Do you see a lot of butt crack in this movie? You don't. Uh, there is a there is a good naked scene. There is a good naked plumber scene, which is really one of the better, funnier, weirder scenes in the film. Um, there are a lot of because it's a Peter Weir film. There's a lot of weird Aboriginal symbolism in it, and then of course it ends with what I think is. I'm just going to tell you, Dan, this is your home renovation nightmare. <laughs> This the last scene in this film is your nightmare come to life. Worse than the money pit. Worse than the money pit. Wow, you're gonna love it. That's pretty bad. All right, so I just mentioned the money pit because that's the obvious go. The obvious movie. choice, yeah, right? The obvious one. Rafer and I do not want to go obvious in this prescription. I'm gonna give you another disaster home renovation movie. It's called Baby Boom, starring oh, Diane yeah. Keaton. Now, this is a movie, very 1980s sort of movie. A yes. powerful woman who is uh, a go-getter in her company in New York, I believe it is. She moves off to the country because she's just inherited a baby. She's you know related right. to someone who died. She inherits this baby. She tries to give the baby a new life in the country. And the beautiful house that she decided she wanted to buy is just a dump. And she doesn't even realize it until it's snowing in her living room and none of the windows are able to close. The whole place is just a crappy, crappy dump. Looks beautiful on the outside, but the movie, for pretty much the whole second half of the movie, it's a two-hour movie, the second half of the movie is pretty much just the renovation job that will never get done. It's awful, and it might remind you that you don't have it as bad as her, Dan, because it's really bad. But here's a clip. Oh, look. I'm almost out of money, Mr. Boone. I don't understand these technicalities. Just tell me one thing, okay? Is this going to be expensive? Yep. Well, do you know, like, approximately how much this is going to cost me? Uh, no. no. Right, yeah. Well, just guess! Uh, uh, five, five, six thousand dollars, maybe more. Oh, well, that's just fine. That's it! I'm in! I can't make it here, okay? I'm going to get out of here. You see, I need to work. I need people. I need a social life. I need sex. And just one more movie, just as an honorable mention, um, I want to bring up for Dan. It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, yeah. Is there a home renovation of that? Do you remember that Mary and George, when they're first courting, they're looking at a house. They're throwing rocks at the windows of this house Mm. that's an old dump. It's a house that's just been abandoned. And Mary says, someday I want to live in that house. And then uh, eventually she and George get married and they move into that house. Ah, uh, there you go. Do you remember that house? I'm going to say the contractors in that little town are probably a lot nicer than Dan's. <laughs> well, they move into this house and the renovations just never end. Uh, <laughs> so it's an endearing thing and it's also a frustrating thing. George is right. frequently mad at this house, especially you'll see it all the time when he's running down the steps at the end of the steps. Part of the railing always falls off. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. But in the end, it becomes something that reminds him of the fact that he and Mary love each other and they built this life together. So maybe, Dan, the nicest note to end all of this on is just to remember, even if this renovation seems like it's never going to end, and maybe if it never does, it can be a moment to remind yourself of the good things in life and who you love and who you're building your home with. Good call, Dr. Meinzer. You're wearing sweatpants. It's Monday. Am I the Queen of England? I don't know. Does the Queen of England only wear sweatpants? When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. All right, Rafer. Shall we move on to our new feature, By Popular Demand, people? Yes. People have been asking us for ages to talk about what's on the small screen. And so we have a new feature. 
We're calling sweatpants. It'll be it'll be your sweatpants recommendation. You don't have to go out, do anything. No, you don't have to put on grown-up clothes. Nope. You can just put your hands on your belly, eat a bunch of takeaway, and watch these recommendations. Put so- your hands somewhere else if you want to. <laughs> While you're sitting on that couch. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, Rafer. <laughs> so, Rafer, what is your sweatpants recommendation of the week? Uh, I've got a VOD pick for you. Um, this is a little movie that uh, got some buzz a little while ago. Never got a whole lot of traction. Um, but I think if you are a pop culture, music, and movie fan, you're going to love it. It's called Supermensch, The Legend of Shep Gordon. He's a real person, Shep Gordon. Uh, the film is directed by, it's the directorial debut of Mike Myers, as in Wayne's World. He directed this film. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's a documentary. The guy, Shep Gordon, is just this kind of nice, unassuming dude who fell into the entertainment industry when he was a young guy. He actually originally wanted to be like a social worker, youth worker type guy. Instead, he was kind of down in his luck for a while, having a hard time, uh, checks into a hotel in um, Los Angeles and starts hanging out with a couple of musicians. One is uh, Jimi Hendrix. The other happens to be Janis Joplin. Jimi Hendrix says to the guy, are you Jewish? And Shep Gordon says, well, yeah, I am. And Jimi Hendrix says, you should be a manager. And Shep Gordon, to his great credit, says, okay. And oh he does. And he becomes a manager of pretty much primarily Alice Cooper. He becomes Alice Cooper's manager. And, it's a, and the Alice Cooper scenes in this movie are fascinating. But he also becomes a manager of, of really and truly almost anyone you can possibly think of. Here's a clip. Jimi Hendrix said, are you Jewish? And I said, yeah. And he said, you should be a manager. I said, great. No problem. Who should I manage? Alice Cooper. <laughs> Now, I just want to say this movie is completely, is just pure show business fluff. It's just glad handing. There's no dirty, there's no dishing, no dirty secrets, no skeletons in anyone's closet. It is just completely self-serving and still totally entertaining. Wow. And now on VOD. Now on VOD. Excellent. Well, and you, Kristen? Well, my sweatpants recommendation for the week stars Laverne Cox of Orange is the New Black. Which, oh, yeah. If you're not watching Orange is the New Black, season one, season two, or both on Netflix right now, check that out. It's great. The acting's fantastic. All the characters are really complex and interesting. And we don't see a lot of shows with predominantly female cast and a very yeah. diverse female cast. We have all... Uh, ethnic, uh, racial, socioeconomic backgrounds represented on this show. It's really great. But Laverne Cox, if you haven't watched the show, you might not know. She's a transgender person who is um, just, she, she's a real trailblazer. I think she's really one of the reasons that the uh, series has taken off is her character. Oh, yeah. People love her. You know, we are seeing a lot of more trans awareness and uh, in the media right now, on TV shows like Glee, but also, you know, there's this new show called Transparent yep. with Jeffrey Tambor. Right. So it's, you know, it's it's a topic that is finally getting the attention it deserves right now. And she has a new show called Laverne Cox Presents the T-Word. And on this show, which is going to be on MTV and on Logo, we see young transgender people sharing their stories with Laverne Cox. And I think it's a really important thing right now. And these are stories that don't always get the attention they deserve. So I'm going to recommend that for sweatpants this week. Sounds good. And as usual, Rafer, let's wrap things up with some movie trivia. Rafer, what was last week's question? Last week we reviewed The Judge 
courtroom drama with Robert Downey Jr. and Robert Duvall. And that made us think of other the other 8 million courtroom dramas so out there. Many. So many. But we picked a winner. We played this clip. Chris, you are out of order. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. They're out of order. That man, that's crazy. We asked you to name that highly dramatic courtroom <laughs> drama. And here is the right answer. Hi, Raper and Kristen. This is Joanne Urban from Somerset, New Jersey. I love your podcast. And the trivia answer this week is, and justice for all with Al Pacino. That movie is ingrained in my mind because when we first got cable many years ago, my mom would not stop watching that movie every single time it was on. It became uh, a joke within the family. Anyway, thanks again. Uh, love your show. Take care. Uh. Joanne, Joanne, oh, we know, you know, I remember when our family first got cable TV, you know, yeah. what was on TV nonstop, Blue Lagoon and the Elephant Man. Uh-huh. And, and as a little like five-year-old, I found one terrifying and the other just a little bit too enticing. Oh, I'll betcha. Just a little bit too enticing. I had cable so long ago that um, the first thing I saw on it was Grease. Ooh. That's wow. Good. That's going back a ways, isn't I it? I love Greece. Greece is the word. Greece is the word. That was on <laughs> TV, if anyone remembers that out there. Wow. Uh, anyway, uh, Joanne, your mom has great taste. <laughs> it's a great. And Justice for All is a great movie. Now, remember, folks, Joanne is just one of many correct answers we got this week. And we randomly select one right answer out of all of them that come in this week. Rafer, we've been talking a lot about rage and fury this week. Yes, indeed. So many furious people on film over the years. One of your favorite films is especially rage-filled. Yes. <laughs> we hate this movie. If you're, <laughs> if, if you're me, we hate this movie. If we're you, you love this movie. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Hate this movie. Rafer loves it. Let's play a clip. Hi. Can I help you? Yes, I'd like a ham and cheese omelet and more lamb fries. I'm sorry. We stopped serving breakfast, but we are on the lunch menu now. I want breakfast. Well, you can't have it. We're not serving it. So you said. Is that the manager? Yeah. Could I speak to him, please? Sure. Do you know that rage-filled movie listeners? They know it, don't they? I'm sure they do. They (laughs) must. God, it's awful. Yeah, it probably haunts their nightmares because they hate this movie so much. If you know what this movie is, visit us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. Or call us at 5717 movies. Rage hit me like a-